Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also join me for my live show five days a week, 9 a.m. to noon on AM 670 KMZQ. If you forget all that, you can also check out HeidiHarris.com, where my books are up there, blog posts, obviously podcast archives, and there's a link to listen live to the show from anywhere at HeidiHarris.com. Personality that provokes and persuades. The Heidi Harris Show on AM 670 KMZQ. Good morning. How are you doing? Glad to have you here. L.A. now reports zero COVID deaths. What? Is this thing going away? Well, not according to some. They're saying, some experts, I don't think we'll ever reach herd immunity. Oh, the scariness, the scariness. Dr. Kelly Victory joins us every Monday for Medical Mondays. Hashtag facts, not fear. Doctor, welcome back. Glad to have you, as always. Good morning, Heidi, and happy Medical Monday to you. Yeah, it's craziness what's going on here. Let's start with uh, Fauci. Fauci wants to shut down India. Sure, why not? Well, you know, this this situation with India is really perplexing, uh, and I'd like to talk a bit about it with you this morning, Heidi, because I think um, at the risk of going out on a limb here, there's more hype, I think, than anything else. Um, I don't have a problem fundamentally with the idea of shutting down travel from an area when we don't understand what's going on there. It was actually good policy when President Trump suggested it with China, and it's good policy here with India if we truly don't understand what's going on there, what's causing the increase in cases, and specifically what they're experiencing with regard to hospitalizations and deaths. That's sort of pandemic and infectious disease 101. All of that said, Heidi, I think that the reports of what we're, what we're hearing about what's going on in India, I think is um, a bit of misinformation and a bit of fear porn when you actually look at the numbers and get a true sense from people on the ground uh, what's going on in India. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. We're speaking with Dr. Kelly Victory. Facts Not Fear is her hashtag, and she, of course, president of Victory Health, disaster preparedness, response training. She's always so kind to join us every Monday to provide good information about the situation. Yeah, you know, the the thing is, and obviously you're a doctor, I'm not, but when you look at the information, you don't really know what to trust out of these other countries. You don't know who's running their media. You don't know what they're not showing us. You don't know uh, what kind of perspective. You've got people living in very poor conditions, much more much more poverty there than here. So you don't have a perspective on that. Talk a little bit about all that. Yeah. And, and some, you know, an awful lot of what we're getting in this country isn't coming from the Indian media. It's coming from our own mainstream media's spin on it. Right. So let's just, you know, what we hear every day is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you know, India is suffering this unbelievable surge, increase in cases. Well, as we've said from the very beginning, the number of cases of COVID or anything else for that matter, I don't really care about if it's not translating into significant disease. We've known from the very beginning that the vast majority of people, Heidi, have a very mild course of it if they contract COVID-19. And we don't have any reason to believe necessarily that anything, any difference going on in India. Let's just look at the numbers. India has a population of 1.4 trillion people, okay? Wow. That's, you know, four, four and a half times the United States. Right now, they are quoting a number of deaths from COVID at around 200,000. So they have four and a half times our population and a death from COVID rate of about a third of what we have in the U.S. So if you do the math on that, 
India right now has well less than 10% of the deaths that we have seen in this country from COVID. Interesting. And the the stories that you see online where people are, you know, uh, bodies are backed up to be burned on the funeral pile and pyre and all of that, much of that, it sounds like to me, is attributable to the fact that they don't have the infrastructure and those kinds of things that we have. Because you're saying the numbers are nowhere near what ours are. Exactly. And so the idea that you could have an increase in cases, there's no question. Viruses mutate. All viruses mutate. That's the norm. And as they mutate, they commonly become, quote, more contagious, meaning easier to spread. So you will see an increase in cases. The good news is, as they become more contagious, these new mutations, they, in every single instance, they become weaker, less lethal, less capable of causing disease. Now, there's no question in a place like India, where you have large areas of the country that are impoverished, are overcrowded and have poor infrastructure or lack of medical services, you can have issues where you're, quote, overwhelming their healthcare system because even a small number of people needing, for example, supplemental oxygen could be taxing on a place that doesn't have significant resources. But I think we have to take a measured look at it, really look at what the numbers are and say, is this actually an overwhelming surge of some mutant bug uh, out of a sci-fi movie, or is this actually just an uptick in cases because we have a more contagious strain that is less, less lethal, and we all of a sudden are focusing on India because they are seeing this increase in cases and because it helps to fuel the uh, pyre of of ongoing um, fear that's been happening from the very beginning of this pandemic. Yeah, that's the truth. Let's speak with Dr. Kelly Victory. Now there's a story in the local paper about how India's double mutant strain has been found in Nevada. But to your point, they don't really talk about whether or not some some people say it's more contagious, but we don't know that it's more lethal. That That's to your point about it. it exactly. And even the idea of calling it a double mutant, that sounds right out of a sci-fi. Isn't that kind of a <laughs> Stephen King thing, right? right. It's a double mutant uh, you know, all that means in layman's terms is this particular variant ha- happens to carry two different mutations that have been seen previously on two different uh, variants. They- they're simply combined. doesn't mean that it translates into uh, something that's more deadly, more lethal, more capable of, you know, forcing people into the hospital or requiring them to be on ventilators or whatever else. Uh, the idea that viruses mutate is something that we've known from the beginning of our understanding of virology. And it's something that I really believe that the problem is that there's so many people out there who are armchair epidemiologists, armchair virologists now, who throw around terms like mutation and variant and double mutant as if they have any idea what they're talking about. And they don't. The good news is as viruses mutate, they commonly become more contagious but they don't become more lethal. Mm, that's really important. We'll speak with Dr. Kelly Victory. Talk to me about the vaccine. It's called the VAERS, v- Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Uh, Alex Berenson, who I love and follow on Twitter and written books about this whole situation, he was talking about, and you were retweeting, about the fact that apparently that's backlog. You know, people will say to me, well, I'll, there have been six cases of, you know, in Johnson & Johnson and six million doses administered. I'll take my chances. We really don't know how many people have had adverse reactions. If this whole system to report them is all backed up, right? 
Exactly. And the VAERS system, to be clear, Heidi, was supposed to have been replaced. It's a 20-plus-year-old, very outdated system. It was intended to be replaced. Uh, of course, for lack of funding, it didn't happen. The VAERS system is an entirely self-reporting system, meaning if you go and get a vaccine and you have a bad event happen, whether it's you know, your arm blows up or you develop a blood clot or you end up with anaphylaxis or whatever it is, you get Bell's palsy, it is up to you, the patient, to go on and report that in the system. So start with the fact that a tiny fraction of the actual adverse events ever get reported because for most people, if you're having a bad side effect from something, you end up in the ER with uh, an allergic reaction or in your neurologist's office because half of your face is paralyzed from Bell's palsy. The last thing on your, you know, sort of list of concerns is, oh, let me get on the VAERS website and report this. So many people never get those things reported. As of right now, we're have upwards of 3,500 deaths being reported on the VAERS website from the three vaccines combined, from Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. Uh, It it remains to be seen how many of those will be absolutely directly tied to the vaccines, but the number is alarming, over 100 spontaneous miscarriages, things of that sort. If you look at the system out of Europe, the numbers are staggering. They have over 800 thousand, more than three quarters of a million severe adverse events reported with nearly 40,000 deaths. So again, those all need to be evaluated. But until we have time to get into each one of those, look at the details, try to understand the correlations, understand is it in a particular gender? Is it a particular age group? Is it a particular one vaccine versus another? And these things take months, if not years, to sort out. And that's why it is really unwise, in my mind, as pro-vaccine as I am, it is of all things you would want to rush through a regulatory system, as onerous as it is, the last thing I would want to rush or try to sidestep uh, regulatory requirements would be a vaccine. Right, absolutely. We're with Dr. Kelly Victor. We're going to take a quick break and come back. And I want to ask you, and I this may sound crazy, but I've heard some people say this, you know, you see these internet videos and whatnot, that if you're even around somebody who's had the vaccine, that they could potentially cause you problems with this spike protein. I want to ask you about that coming up and also about these colleges that are expecting kids to get vaccinated before they go back to college. All that coming up with Dr. Kelly Victory right here on The Heidi Hair Show. You wake up. She opens your eyes. The Heidi Harris Show on AM 670 KMZQ. Good morning. Dr. Kelly Victory is always kind enough to join us with hashtag facts, not fear. Every Monday, we're thrilled that she's agreed to stick around a few more minutes every Monday to answer some more questions. Doctor, I know it seems crazy, but I've actually heard some people in these, you know, these Internet videos. You see them. People send them this and that. Certain doctors are saying that if you're even around somebody who's been vaccinated, that potentially you could be infected or it could affect your spike protein or could you explain that like i'm four years old please well i will do my best because i find it somewhat far-fetched myself heidi although i have to say that even some of my colleagues whose uh opinions i really trust have said the same thing this is what people are referring to as quote vaccine shedding okay meaning that the spike protein itself we know that the spike protein on covid19 that's the the protein that makes that 
the outside coating that makes it look like a crown, which is right. why it's called coronavirus, that the protein itself is pathogenic, meaning it can cause uh, people to develop blood clots and a lot of other complicating things, including autoimmune diseases, and it can set off your entire immune system into that cytokine storm. There is this theory that people who get vaccinated and therefore they have the messenger RNA and they start creating these spike proteins so that their body will develop antibodies, that somehow they start sloughing these spike proteins that can somehow get onto somebody else, inhaled by somebody else. Uh, and that that person who hasn't been vaccinated all of a sudden comes in contact with a whole bunch of these spike proteins. I am having a hard time understanding how that is supposedly happening. They aren't you know, spike proteins floating around in the air or landing <laughs> on tabletops or something. I mean, I, it, it, I, I find it. Yeah. So so it, when I can kind of get my head around that, I'll I'm happy to revisit it. But for right now, I don't see this vaccine shedding as a significant issue, despite the fact that we're hearing stories that, oh, you know, women who are near people who got vaccinated are all of a sudden having bleeding problems or heavy menstrual cycles or clotting and these sorts of things. I'm just not putting it together quite yet as a credible theory or it's a theory, but a credible reality. I right. Well, say. that's why I wanted to get your hashtag facts, not fear comments on that. Now, a lot of colleges are starting to require students to get the vax going back to school. That's pretty horrifying that they could do that. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about the law. I want you to talk about that again. But, you know, the idea that you're a parent, your kid finally gets to college. And now you, this is the choice that you have to make. Talk a little bit about that. Well, this is really bad public health policy for a number of reasons, Heidi. Let's start with the fact that it's actually illegal. It's a breach of federal law at this point because none of the vaccines are FDA approved. They are only being used experimentally under emergency use authorization. And the wording on the EUA is very, very clear that it is a breach of federal law for an employer or other organization to mandate or, quote, otherwise coerce someone to participate in an experimental treatment against their will. Uh, and that's certainly not allowing someone to go back and finish their degree or attend in-person uh, schooling would certainly qualify as coercion. Uh, if, if not an out-and-out mandate, it would certainly be coercion. But the reason I believe it's really horrible public health policy is that you're talking about a group of people, college students, who are essentially a zero risk from severe illness from COVID-19. We know that people under the age of 18 have a 0.003% risk of having a bad outcome, and people under the age of 50 have a 0.02% risk of a bad outcome. And that's all comers. That's including people who have diabetes and obesity and underlying autoimmune disease. If you don't have one of those things, your risk is even lower than those numbers. Wow. So the idea that we would force people or try to shove people into getting a mass vaccination for something for which they have almost no risk of a bad outcome, to me, is just, uh, I think it's irresponsible because the risk from the vaccines themselves, whether you're talking about fertility risk, ongoing autoimmune diseases, neurologic complications, you know, anaphylaxis, those risks are not insignificant. And until we know more about these vaccines, I really believe it is not only bad public health policy, but I believe it is reckless 
to be pushing people who are not in a risk category to get vaccinated. And let's let's remind everybody, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Victory, who is not anti-vax about anything else. She has questions about this. And the interesting thing about the vaccine, the vaccine's only been out literally for a few months. But for a year, we've been dealing with people with COVID, and we know what the stats are on people of a certain age. But we don't know what this vaccine will do. Exactly. And that's why I find it when I hear someone, whether it's Anthony Fauci or other physicians or pundits in the mainstream media saying, These vaccines are safe. There's no impact on fertility. There's no long-term side effects. How in the world can you possibly make that statement with a straight face when these vaccines did not exist 12 months ago? Right. We have no data on long. We have absolutely no data. And my concern, Heidi, we saw this with the swine flu vaccine back in the 70s, excuse me, 1976, Lest you think history doesn't repeat itself, 46 million Americans got vaccinated with the swine flu vaccine before it was pulled from the market and had devastating consequences. Huge numbers of people who were harmed with neurologic issues. Fortunately, only 46 million got vaccinated. But right now, there's such a push on this. And you know I am pro-vaccine. If this were something, number one, if it was a deadly virus, something for which many, many people had a high risk, I might feel differently about it. But at this point, we could easily choose to vaccinate those people who are at high risk from COVID, people of, you know, 70s, 80s, people living in nursing home, people with with obesity or diabetes as comorbidities, and leave everybody else alone, knowing, number one, that we have lots of ways to treat COVID-19, We have many treatments, including ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and budesimide and remdesivir, lots of options. And we know that most people aren't at risk. So why you would put them in harm's way by sticking an untested, un-FDA-approved, non-FDA-approved vaccine in their arm is beyond me. I don't understand that either. Dr. Kelly Victory, always great to have you every Monday for Medical Mondays. Hashtag Facts Not Fear. Follow her on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Victory. Thank you so much once again. Sounds great, Heidi. See you next Monday. Don't forget to join me for my live show, 9 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday on AM 670 KMZQ. And don't forget to subscribe to these podcasts anywhere you get podcasts, or you can find them at HeidiHarris.com. You can also find my books up there, blog posts, all that good stuff. And you can email me at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. (laughs) 